This is It Just Takes One. One person, one experience, one idea, one moment to change your life. Here's what's coming up on today's show. Five years ago, I started thinking about writing this book. It was two and a half years ago I started writing. So it's definitely like this moment of, holy cow, I did it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to It Just Takes One. Today, it is my pleasure to have Sarah Dole on the show. Sarah Dole is the best-selling author of Your Future Self Will Thank You, and I love her subtitle. The subtitle is this, a book for you, by me, about you, told through stories about me. <laughs> Just a little bit of the humor that you're going to hear as I talk to Sarah today, and certainly that you'll read when you get a chance to read the book. The book is a series of life lessons, and Sarah shares where the idea came from and, and how she learned some of those life lessons. We go deep, we get into some personal stories and some of the challenges that she's overcome in her life that I think you'll be interested in hearing and that maybe some of you can relate to. I don't want to give away too much, so I invite you to sit back and listen in as Sarah Dole shares her story. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to It Just Takes One. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Looking forward to this conversation today. We have had a lot of fun working together over the past few months, and I'm excited to share that with the viewers and the listeners uh, so that they can learn a little bit more about you and about your book, your best-selling book, and also a little bit about the writing process and, and what this experience has been like for you. So I'm I'm going to just jump right in and get us underway. Why don't you start just by sharing a little bit about our connection, how you even found Scripture Publishing Group to begin with, yeah. and how we ended up connecting. Yeah. So I started uh, a life coaching business about a, a year ago. And so I've really tried to become active online and connect with a lot of other life coaches, a lot of other people in, in this realm, motivational speakers, and just making as many connections as I can. And online, there's a woman, Julie Ciardi, who had put up a post that just said, what are you going to do in 2021? And this was like at the end of 2020, you know, the disaster that 2020 was. And I said, I'm going to get my book published. And she DM'd me and said, this is the person you need to go to. Here's Kelly Watson. Here's Scripture Publishing Group. And right, and she emailed and connected us. And I was like, holy crap, I put it in the world. So now I got to do it. <laughs> so that's where it started. You know, I actually didn't even know that that... I knew that she had referred you, but I didn't actually know the specifics of how that happened. So I love yeah. that you, you throw it out into the world and watch out because <laughs> it's going to happen like instant. That was, that's amazing. I remember yeah, the first cool. conversation. There was that moment of, there was a moment of fear, right? When I, I, I almost didn't post and I was like, okay, just post it. I'm going to put it on the world. I've said it 10 other times and I haven't done it yet. So let's go. So it worked 10th time. 10th time is a charm. I remember that first conversation that we had because you had the book, you had basically the book written. How long had you had it in that form before you put it out there into the world? So I wrote the book starting January 1st, 2019. I had written it in 2019. And I had given a really rough draft to a couple of different friends who read it. And then one of my friends said, partway through 2020, she said, do you think this is still relevant because of what's happening in the world? And I had fear come up all over the place. And I just was like, I think so. And I read it mid 2020. And I was like, yeah, actually, I think all of what I talk about is even more relevant during 2020. Um, and so I, I had it for a year. And then I let it kind of sit on my hard drive for a year before I reached out to you. So it was like, it was silent for about a year. And then all of a sudden everything started happening. And six months later, I have a book. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. Once the train leaves the station, it yeah. gains momentum. Watch out. You know, I like that, that you shared that though, because that's not the first time that I've heard that we've had, we've had authors come to us who have had a book sitting in their drawer done for 14 years, but just didn't know what to do next. 
So I do think that that's not an unusual thing where people kind of feel this, this you know, these ideas are coming and you've got to get it down, but then, then the fear comes into play and you don't know what to do with it. Oh, so I'm glad that you shared that. So it didn't take long for us to start working and to start, obviously in six months, we went from that moment to, to having the book in, the, in your hand. Do you have the book right there? Go ahead and show it. I might. <laughs> I still can't believe I'm holding my own book. What does that feel like? Uh, it's so cool. Um, I put the video up online of when I got to open it the first time and I knew you told me all about what that was going to feel like, but, and I knew it was going to be amazing. It was still, I, I cried and just was like, this is it. Like I, this is, it's, it's two and a half years of work, but it's really 40 years of work, right? It's, it's really a steeped in life lessons I've learned throughout my whole life. And, you know, it was five years ago, I started thinking about writing this book. It was two and a half years ago, I started writing. So it, it's definitely like this moment of, holy cow, I did it. Yeah, this culmination of all that time. Share with the listeners a little bit about what you, you started thinking about this book five years ago. And I know that was sort of the seed of what became the final product. Um, share a little bit about that story, because it's kind of an interesting story how it came about. Yeah. Well, I'm a, I'm a college golf coach first. Um, I'm almost 20 years into my college golf coaching career. And when I became a head coach, I started this program for the college seniors for their spring semester called Real Life 101. And basically it was helping them get ready for what happens after college. As a college coach and, and in college athletics, I don't always think we prepare them for the practical stuff after life or after college. <laughs> um, and so I started this program where I, I did a cooking class with them. You know, I had a financial advisor come in and talk to them. I did this life lessons with coach thing where I wrote down 25 lessons I learned and they would come in my office and we would sit there and just talk about it. And it um, ended with uh, a former student athlete panel coming in to talk to them once, you know, season was over. And I was telling my therapist in Brooklyn about it at the time. This was probably like uh, 2015. And she said, why don't you turn that into a book, the, the life lessons part? And I was like, that's a really good idea. And so that's the first time I actually thought about writing a book. And so, you know, it just kind of moved around in my head for a while. And then finally, on beginning of 2019, I woke up and said, I'm going to do this. I just started writing and I just like passionately, like just writing, 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 writing. And you know, I was pen penciled the paper. And then I realized, Oh, I'm going to have to type this after a while. So I, I think I wrote four or five chapters. And then I was like, I think I should start this on a computer because there's something about, you know, pencil the paper, but also I was thinking about productivity and long-term. So I, I started it in a word file which changed to a shared Google Drive doc, and here we are. And here we are. First of all, because I have, you know, I'm the mother of kids graduating from college, I so agree from, first time you told me that, I was like, wow, we should, you're absolutely right. You know, if we spent as much time teaching our kids how to cook their own meal and balance their own checkbook rather than, you know, trigonometry or something that they may not use again in their life, we probably have some productive adults when they come out. And also just my kids going through that experience right now, you know, my, my second daughter just graduated just a couple of weeks ago from college, my son last year, um, to, to get them to that next step, you know, like from this great experience of college to real life is a big jump. And, and I, so I love that you came up with this idea and, and these lessons that you're sharing are, are ones that I'm, I mean, I'll be buying the book for my kids as, as I've already told you, because I think they'll get a lot from it. Um, but in the book, you end up sharing 18, well, 17 lessons, 18 other bonuses, right? Um, and I want to share a couple of these titles with the listeners. So they kind of get an idea of some of the, the lessons and a Ooh, little bit I'm of the Style. I'm interested of which ones you're going to pick out right now. I was thinking about it before we started recording and I was like, should I just do all 18 of them? Because they're all so good. 
But in the interest of time and, and encouraging our listeners and viewers to actually go out and buy the book so that they can read all of them for themselves, I'm just going to share a couple that I think are great. Um, lesson number one, which is near and dear to my heart as a, a past trainer and um, wellness coach. Lesson number one, take care of your body. You can't move out of it. Brilliant. Lesson number two, having regrets is as useful as non-alcoholic beer or decaf coffee. <laughs> I love that one. Love that one. Lesson number six, and this is a message that you give several times throughout, make it a priority to put your feet in stirrups and have awkward conversations with your gynecologist. <laughs> Very important. I actually did that last week, to be honest. <laughs> Excellent. Well, there is a message that um, keeps popping up, you know, don't forget to go to the doctor. Um, lesson number eight, powerful. There is no magic redo for your childhood. That was the hardest chapter to write. That was the hardest chapter to write. Tell us why. Tell us a little bit more about that chapter. Yeah, um, it, that chapter steeped in having, growing up with a parent with who suffered from bipolar disorder and not knowing what it was at the time. So there's a lot of levity throughout this entire book. I try to make it a fun read, a serious read. That chapter, I couldn't bring any levity into that chapter because having a, a parent with severe mental health issues is, is really, really difficult. And I was really mad at my mom for a long time and realized it's my responsibility to figure this out. And so in that chapter, I talk a little bit about the fact that I could have gone the rest of my life being angry at my mom, or I could have done what I did and got some really solid therapy. The same therapist who <laughs> told me to write this book and realized that she didn't want to be like that. She really was trying. And so that was the chapter that was the most difficult to write because I had to go back to some of those emotions and think about what it was like. And um, you know, my mom actually passed away a couple of years ago. So I, I've been able to be a little bit more honest with myself about my role in that. And that there were times I was just angry at her and she didn't want to be like that. And, and the, so the, there's this hard piece of, where did her bipolar disorder end and where did she begin? Well, that's not a thing I realized. It's, it's, we're all just a blend of who we are. And I identified her as bipolar, which I, she's not, she was, she was a whole human. So that was a hard chapter to write, but I've gotten to such a good place with that, so. You know, a lot of times when I'm working with authors, one of the things that I think is really important and it's powerful, I'm always, um, it's sort of in awe of it as it happens is, is when we start writing about some of the difficult parts of our life and the things that have challenged us, that the writing process actually ends up being cathartic. That there is something about putting pen to paper or, you know, fingers to keys, whatever way you, you process it, that allows you to see it from a different perspective and and then and then do something with it differently because it's now outside of you instead of inside of you. Yeah. Is that what is, did you have something like that happen as you were writing about it? Did it help you process it differently? I was those were the words I was going to use is I I finally started processing it. So I, I actually, and I just want to back up pre-book writing, I did um, the morning pages from the artist way. Was it Julie Cameron? Is that? Yeah. And that, that was a lot of what I started writing about. And I think that was another part of, oh, I need to write this. I need to write a little bit more about my mom and, and the struggles. And I definitely feel like just, you know, there's a lot more that I wrote than what's in chapter eight, because I didn't want it to be the whole book. I might write a second book about that. Um, so I have a lot of I have a lot of stuff that I can go back to, but I definitely feel like it helped me process some of it and it helped me take some ownership of it. And sometimes you write something and then you don't read it, and then you go back a day, two weeks, two months later and read it. You're like, oh, I get that now. Like on the other side, when I'm not in the emotional state, I can kind of get to the other side of it. So, yeah, this book, writing this book, and especially that chapter, it was definitely a big part of my healing process. So yeah. I'm grateful for that. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's an, a really important part because, it, you know, if somebody's out there thinking about writing and, and they struggle with something and they're, you know, worried about writing about it, I, I think that's a great example of why it's important to write about it. That just that process of letting it out um, can be really helpful. The other thought I have, though, that I'm wondering is you included it in this book that's, you know, these life lessons. So what, what's the lesson that you want the reader to get from that, that chapter yeah. in particular? So, so the, there's no magic redo for your childhood. Uh, we've all had something difficult in our childhood. And if you didn't, like, kudos to you. Or you're just ignoring it, right? Right. Um, but sometimes we we blame our parents. We blame whoever raised us. We blame things from our childhood for moving forward to getting to where we want to go. And I think I was doing that for a long time. I was blaming my mom. I was angry. I was like a victim. You know, how could she talk to me this way? How could she do this to me? And then I I was able to realize I have control over how, what I do with this. And I can use this for strength. And one of the things I, I talk about, I think in the, or at some point in the book about going to therapy, I was, a, I was a college athlete. I grew up playing sports and I thought I'm tough. I don't need help. I don't need support. I don't need therapy. Look at my mom. You know, this, these are my like ignorant 18 year old words. Like she's crazy. Therapy hasn't worked for her. Medicine hasn't worked for her. So I don't need that. I'm strong. And then I realized it's actually strong to ask for help and it's strong to realize, okay, this is what happened in my childhood. And it could just be small things. Like it, it could be the messages we receive through social media, well, social media for those growing up now, but you know, media, the, the things that we're taught that we're, I think we're always taught from a beginning that you're not good enough. And that's from your parents. And, and it's not their fault necessarily. It's, it's like, don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't, you know, you're always being told what you're doing is wrong or you're looking at images online or in, in the media or in movies and, and you're like, oh, I'm not good enough. Look at her. She's like got the perfect body or she's got the perfect life. Or um, So I think it, it's it's not just your parents. It's not just, for me, it was based a lot in my mom. But I think for most people, it's just realizing what we grew up with. It's okay that we, we it's not, actually it's not okay that we were told we're not good enough, but that's just the nature of our society. And so it's realizing that you are good enough you don't have to wallow in some of the lessons that you learned that were a little bit backwards when you were younger. So that is my long-winded answer to what I want chapter eight to be for people. <laughs> it's, I think it's such an important lesson. I was just on a coaching call before this and I had a very similar conversation. And it's that that whole idea that we sort of carry this baggage with us and, and, and that the only thing that we can control about that is our response to it is basically what you're, what you're teaching that you don't have to hold it. If you choose not to, you can, you can do something different with it. It doesn't mean it won't be there. It is part of what makes you, but you can choose a different way to move forward. Well, and it's something I've learned a lot in the last year. If it's okay, I'd talk a little about, you know, I, I became a certified life coach through CLCC and Kate Swoboda and um, I learned from her and from that program about reframing limiting stories. I had words to put on it because I think that's really important that you don't just say, okay, this is a lesson I learned. And now I'm just going to think this way. You don't spiritually bypass. That was something I really learned from them. You might have a limiting story of I'm not good enough. It's you have to take time and grace and compassion to process your feelings around that before you can reframe it to I am freaking good enough. Like I'm amazing. You don't just go from here to here. You've got to process. And that's something that I've learned. And that's a lot about that chapter is it took me a long time to process my feelings around that before I got to the other side where I'm like, I actually think my mom's really proud of me. I always thought she thought I was bad or wrong or I think she's really proud of me. And like, it took me, it almost makes me want to tear up because it took me 40 years of work to get there. Yeah, it's amazing. There's also a beautiful story that you share about your mom in there. And, and, and I want you to share it again, because I think it's another space where she was showing you her love. And, and it's the story about what happens when you get on the airplane. I was wondering if it was my wedding weekend or the pilot. Um, Both of those, but I, I yeah. went to the pilot. <laughs> um, 
Well, I'll start with the, I just want to say quickly the wedding weekend. So the one thing I realized is my wedding weekend, I thought my mom was going to, you know, I, I was afraid she was going to go down the path and ruin it. She was amazing my wedding weekend. And again, this wonderful therapist said to me, that's the mom she's always wanted to be. She just doesn't have the tools. So like that wedding weekend, she was like, I, I will never forget how amazing she was for those. It was a 72 hour party. Um, but the the story you were referring to is, uh, you know, I I, I, I just wanted, I want to make sure that, that we share that because if somebody's out there, you know, thinking about their own situation and there may be something in there that they may want to process a little bit more. So when you say she was just amazing that whole weekend, what do you mean by that? Well, you know, knowing my mom and the experiences I had before, whenever we were in public or in big groups, she would just say things to totally embarrass me. Or, or she would say things, you know, like when I, being a college golf coach, some of the parents of the players that I coach would, you know, my mom and dad would come sometimes and watch at tournaments. And the parents would be like, oh my God, we love your daughter. She's such a good coach. And, you know, saying all these nice things. And my mom would say things like, I'm so tired of hearing how much people love you. And I'm like, thanks, mom. <laughs> like, aren't you proud of me? Um, and so... And she would just, I don't know, I, it, to me, I thought it was obvious that she was suffering from bipolar disorder. It was funny, after she passed, I had a lot of friends that had no idea. And so I, a lot of it was stories I was making in my head of she's embarrassing me or, oh my gosh, like, what is she doing? Um, and so I was going into my wedding weekend with the fear that she was going to do something, you know, and she didn't. She, she, the six months leading up to my wedding, she watched four, that four dresses show, or I don't know, whatever, some of these wedding shows online. And she would like call me almost every day, giving me ideas, but also she would be like, I know it's your weekend. I just, I just want to, I don't want to get too involved. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and then the actual weekend, she, I mean, you know, let's be honest. My mom kicked me out of the house when I came out of the closet 25 years ago. 25 years ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. Time adds up really fast. Right. And then she walked me down the aisle with my dad. My dad and my mom walked me down the aisle and she was amazing that whole weekend. I, and I don't want to, I mean, I, I'm going to say this as a joke. She kind of shut up all weekend. I was expecting her, you know, and she just kind of, I just watched her be really proud that weekend. So um, that was, that's what I mean by that is that she just, she was amazing. Yeah, that's very cool. And there's more to that story, but let's, let's finish it. In fact, let me, I just found it while you were speaking. I found that the section here where you tell the story about the plane, let me read you that piece of it. And then you can share more because I think it might be interesting for you to hear it read to you. You might make me cry. <laughs> so you're flying back to New York for a funeral and, um, you're, you're sharing. And then you said, I told the story of how my mom would say, tell the pilot to, to fly safely whenever I would get on an airplane. Why? I would ask. And she would respond because there is a special bundle on board. It was a tradition that started on my first flight alone when I was in my early teens and I never missed the pilot phone call since. The last thing I said at the funeral through tears was tell the pilot to get you there safely, mom. I remember when you were helping edit the book, you put a little note that said, now I'm crying. Yes. <laughs> um, now too. <laughs> so yeah, that was something that um, she always said to me. And we had a lot of little traditions with our family. And that was my way of my mom showing love because she didn't really know, have the tools to do it in other ways. It was just creating traditions. I don't want to say just, it was creating traditions. It was really powerful. And so in Christmas of 2018, my mom gave me a voice recorder. And as soon as I opened it, I, I was like, I hate this gift because I knew what it was for. And we did an audio recording of the two of us saying the pilot exchange back and forth so that I would always have it. And this was Christmas of 2018. Early 2019, she was diagnosed with cancer and 11 weeks later, she died. So I have the recording. It is, I have a video of the, the recording. It's on my phone. It's on my wife's phone. It's on my computer. Like, like nine people have it. So I'll never lose it. It's in Google, all the things. And so 
after she died, I mean, I had to get on a plane. Like, I, actually, I went to the I went to um, New York to be there with her in the in the hospital as she was dying. And on the way to go see her, I played it for the first time because my mom couldn't say it. Like she, she was in the hospital. She wasn't able to communicate as well. And so I remember listening to it as I was getting on the plane. I, my mom died at two o'clock in the morning. I had a 7 a.m. flight to go home for the weekend and then fly back for the funeral. That's the first time I played it after she passed. And I've never missed it since. And, and I remember when she did that recording, I'm like, this is awful. And then I'm just so grateful that we did that. Because if she hadn't thought of that, we, I, would, I wouldn't have it. So it's, it's been a very emotional thing. And every time I listen to it, whenever I fly, I mean, 2020, I was grounded. So I didn't listen to it all of 2020. I listened to it a couple of weeks ago when I went on my first flight and I got teared up. Sometimes it hits me and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm just so grateful for that. And again, it goes back to my mom. That's, that's what she wanted to convey, that she really did care, that she did love me, that she, I'm her special bundle. It's so cheesy, but I just, it just really meant a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I have um, recordings of my mother as well. And when I hear her voice, it, it's so shocking to hear her now that she's been gone for a while, you know, and it's, I'm so grateful in the same way. So although that is not the lesson that you're sharing, I will share that with the listeners that if you have somebody special in your life, that you have something special to share, record them now, because you will value that yeah. when they're gone. Yeah, That'll be in book number two. That <laughs> more to come. So obviously that is one chapter out of many. Do you have a favorite of all the lessons that you shared? Do you have one that really stands out to you? Uh, yeah. Um, if you want to win a conference championship, come out of the closet. <laughs> Tell us about that. And I don't actually remember what chapter, I think it's chapter nine, 10. I don't, I don't I even know them in order. You got your um, right there in your book. It's, um, yeah, I'm open it up. My wonderful table of contents that you helped me create. It is chapter nine. I said it right the first time. There you go. So I follow up the chapter about my mom with something a little bit more light, but it's all about being your true and authentic self. And I, you know, I tell the story about how I was a college coach and I was not out of the closet. And I just I was hiding who I was. And I finally, I got engaged. I finally decided to tell the team my truth. And, and, you know, you, you, as a college coach, you want to lead by example. You want to guide them, not just tell them like, here's the things you should be doing. You want to show them how to do it. And I felt like I was never being my true authentic self that first three years of being a coach, a head coach. Um, so finally I just sat down I was so nervous and I told the team and the reaction was just amazing. And, and first of all, the team right away wanted to know if they were invited to the wedding. And I was like, no. And they're like, we'll pay. We'll pay to go to your wedding. I'm like, I'm not selling tickets to my wedding. <laughs> like, They were just amazing. And, and right away, I felt like I could be my true authentic self. And it's not like I shared all of my personal life with them after that. I just could be more, I didn't have to worry about, like, I don't know, pulling myself out of the closet on accident. I could just be true. And they got to like ask questions about like, you know, what, what do you, are you going to wear a dress? Is she going to wear a dress? Like all the things about the wedding. And I just had a much closer bond with them after. And the very next year we won our conference championship for the first time in school history. And then we won it three years in a row. So that's kind of my, I mean, I, I love the joke about, yeah, we won conference because I came out of the closet, but honestly, <laughs> I was a better coach. I was a better partner. I was a better sister, a better daughter, like all of the things. Once I was true about who I was, I just could step into me a little bit more and really live without fearing that I was going to offend someone with who I am. It was pretty powerful. It's really powerful. And what's your message to somebody out there who feels like they're covering something or they're not fully being their authentic self? What's your yeah. message? Well, first of all, you have to love whatever you are, you have to first get to a point of you're proud of yourself. And that's a hard place to be sometimes, especially if you're a quote minority, whatever that means anymore, right? 
Um, in the wise words of Dan Savage, who is, uh, I don't know if you know who Dan Savage is, he's a love and sex advice columnist out of Seattle. Um, he said, if you roll it out like you have cancer, people will treat you like you have cancer. And I've never forgot. I mean, I, I've, I heard that after I've already been out, but it's such a true thing. If you roll out something about you, like almost in an apologetic way, people are going to think like tiptoe around it. But if you roll it out, like I, I, I'm super proud to share that X, Y, Z, whatever it is. And you show that you're proud of it. If someone reacts in a different way, then they're not your people. They're going to be proud of you too. And that's something I've really learned is I'm unapologetically out of the closet now because why not? You know, I, I live in San Francisco, so it's, it's easy here. It's a very liberal place, but I'm, I no longer hide. If you don't like it, I'm not throwing it in your face. I'm just being me. And that's what I think is really important is to be really proud of who you are. And then when you talk about who you are, talk about it in a way that like, this is awesome. I'm getting married or I can't think of another example right now because that's, that was mine, but I think that's well, I, the big lesson. I think that's a huge lesson. And, and it, 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 people get what you give, right? They'll take from whatever the situation is, your point, whatever it is that you give them. So like you're saying, if you give them that this is terrible, they're going to be like, oh, this is terrible. If you're telling them this is amazing, they'll be like, oh, this is amazing. Right. Exactly. So um, it's so important that, that you feel that within yourself so that you can then share that. Yeah. And share it when you're ready. Don't have anyone else tell you if there's something that you're, if there's a, even just like a big project you're working on and you're afraid to say it out loud, say it out loud when you're ready, you know, when, or when it, it feels right. I think that stuff's important is I think a lot of us live in someone else's standards, start living in your own standards. That's what I'm learning. I'm still learning it. I'll be learning it forever. <laughs> a lifelong process. Let's talk for a moment about your beautiful wife, because she's not just an, an important person in your life, but she was part of this book project in a couple of different ways. Um, her name is Kat, and you you do the uh, cute dedication to her. Um, but talk a little bit about Kat, about her, her hands in this book and some of the ways that she was supporting you in this project. She's awesome. I, I hit the the wife jackpot. Um, she's just a wonderful human being. And we've been together for almost 11 years. And we continue, first of all, with our relationship, we just continue to work. It, it, we just work on it all the time. Every once in a while, our phrase is, are you still in it? Yeah, you still keep going? Okay, we'll check in again in six months. But I just, talking about being your authentic self, I feel like she's helped me be my authentic self. For a while, I used to always say, and I think I referenced this in the book, I used to say, she made me a better person. And then I realized she, that wasn't it. She helps me be the person I was and not be afraid to be that. And I've, I just, I don't know, ever since I've met her, I just feel like I have like, this is like a cheesy thing, but like I've stepped into my greatness. Like I just, I just truly feel like I stopped being worried about what people thought about me. Um, it wasn't an overnight thing. It took some time. <laughs> and so when I, I started writing this book, she, she was actually the one that encouraged me. So uh, when I, January 1st, 2019, she was in Seattle. She texted me and said, Google Adam Rippon letter to self. And that's what I did. And it was this Adam Rippon, the figure skater. He had written a letter to his 13 year old self and they had uh, put a video of pictures of him as he's reading this letter. And she said, I think you should do that. And that's where it starts. That's where the book starts is a letter to my 13 year old self. And I just started writing. So like it, it, all those little steps, right? The therapist told me to write it. And then I started thinking about it. Then that moment when Kat said, Google that. I mean, I just, I have a picture of me after I was crying and I just started writing. So like she really prompted me to, to start the writing. And then as I'm going along, she was just always encouraging me. And then I said, I have this thing I want to do. I met this woman, her name is Kelly. She runs a scripter publishing group and I really wanna invest in this because I don't know how to do this and I need support. And she was like, you know, how much does it cost? We talked about it, we looked at our finances. She's like, let's do it. And it took a little push, like, I know it's a lot of money but also it's not a lot of money in the long run, right? Like it's worth it. 
And she was on board. She just wanted to know the details, right? So the three of us got on a Zoom call because she just wanted to understand the details. And I think a lot of it was how could she support the process? And so the amount of times I have like been like, can you read this? And I like read something out loud to her and she'll stop what she's doing and actually listen. She read the whole book front to back and helped me edit things. She has my best interest in mind. There were several things throughout the book that she said, I think you need to tweak this, this, and this because she knows me and she knows the message I wanted to get out. So I think that's a big part of really finalizing the book um, with someone who really understands like who I am and what I wanted to say. Because obviously Kelly, you were awesome in helping me with editing and like, but you didn't, you didn't know me. And so you were giving me a, a lot of suggestions. And the one thing I want to say is you never changed my voice. You just gave me like, I, here's a suggestion. And I took probably 89% of your suggestions, right? 88. 88. I took 98% of Kat's suggestions. <laughs> um, yeah. But that was the thing is someone who doesn't really know me and then someone who knows me better than anyone both had my best interest in mind. And that was really important from like the, the book. And this is like the little things. The fact that the book is matte and not shiny or uh, glossy (laughs) because my first copy came glossy with white paper and Kat said, I like it. And for your content, it looks too clinical of a book. She said, look at all these other books. We went and looked at every matte book that I had. And then these books, it's actually off white paper. It was her that pushed me to do that. And as soon as I got this copy, I'm like, oh my God, you're so right. Are you right again? You're always right. So I could talk about her for like seven hours. So you just have to cut me off. <laughs> no, it's so good. And and um, a couple things that I want the listeners to take away from that is it is really important to have support when you're taking on any big project, but even with writing a book, to have somebody there who can give you their honest input because they have your best interest at heart is so valuable. And I know I encouraged you to have her read in and to, to get all of that for that exact reason, um, because you get a different perspective when it's somebody who has your best interest at heart and they can see what can't be seen from the outside. So I appreciate that she was part of the process as well and, and glad that she was on board with the whole well, thing. This is, and this is the first copy. She actually bought it on Amazon. She like, so we could get a copy before I had all of my copies. I haven't signed it yet. And she was like, you still haven't signed my copy. And I was like, well, I've been opening it a lot. So I feel like maybe I should wait for another copy to come out and write it. (laughs) We need a clean copy. (laughs) You know, I'm actually glad though, that you brought up the, um, the content and how the book starts with the letter to your 13 year old self, because I wanted to make sure we pointed that out for those that are going to be going out to to buy the book. You should know that that's a really interesting beginning and also an interesting ending. So share about the ending and the final part of the book. Well, it's, you know, the letter starts 13 year old self from my 40 year old self. I actually wrote that letter when I was 40. Mm -hmm. I'm now 42. Um, and then I, I didn't know how to close the book. And I just started thinking about it. I'm like, well, we talk about my future self. So then I write a letter to my 80-year-old self for my 40-year-old self. And that one was actually harder to write because it's thinking forward about what it is I hope I do. And, and I want my 80-year-old self to be proud of me. And so that's that was a harder one to write. I almost didn't want to put too many details in it because what if I don't do those things, right? Some of the things I put in the letter I have, have done. But um, you know what happens when you put things out there? They happen. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, and straight up, I mean, my mom has already passed. But when I'm 80, my dad's not going to be here. And and I, my sister was so mad at me about that letter because we joke I kill my dad off in the book. Um, because he, he, he's, when I'm 80, he's, he'll be 127. Like he, I mean, who knows, maybe he'll beat the odds, but, uh, that was a hard thing to think about is I'm not going to have him. So it was just kind of full circle. I start the letter. And the reason I was able to write the book. And like I mentioned earlier is because my mom passed away. I felt like I had true permission from the universe to write the book because of her mental health, I knew that I could not write this book and have her read it because she wouldn't understand 
And I didn't want to put that pain on her. She was already in enough pain. And so now it's like, you know, thinking later on that someday dad's not going to be here. And that that's a hard thing to think about, but it's real. It's real. It's just facing reality is really important. It is. It is really important. I'd like to share just a little bit of that letter. I'm not going to read the whole thing because again, readers out there go and buy the book. You can really listen to it. Kleenex. So we're good. (laughs) Kleenex. Uh, But it starts this way. Dear 80 year old Sarah. I sit here halfway to where you are and wonder where I will be by the time I get to that swinging front porch chair in the sleepy beach town home that you settled in. I imagine a future in which I look back on my past and am proud of all that I have accomplished. I have made a life for myself that is admirable and I had a hell of a lot of fun creating it. I affected change through my coaching, my relationships and the way I live my life. And you go on to talk about your dad. I took care of my dad till until his death. And you continue. Um, I'm sure my sister drove me crazy at times and still can't find her cell phone. That's why she's late. And I love her. <laughs> my dad obviously told the same stories over and over again, which drove me nuts. But I miss it every day. Most importantly, you go on to say, I truly hope that I made a difference and lived the life I dreamed of when I was 13 years old. So future me, hold that seat next to you. Tell Kat to grab an extra glass and pour me some of that special lemonade. I'll be there soon. Love your past self. P.S. Go to the doctor. (laughs) Do you want to do my audio book? You're really good at reading it. It makes me want to cry. No, you need to do your own audio book because as much as possible, um, the author should read it. But, but. It is interesting to have the experience of having it read back to you, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like I forget that I wrote some of that because I've read it so much on paper. I don't read it out loud that much. I will be when I do my audiobook. You will. You will. But I also think it's different when somebody else, a different voice with a little different inflection and just yeah. the way that, because you've processed, you wrote it. So you process it the way that you speak and the way that you think, and you're hearing your own voice as you're writing it. And when you're reading it, but when somebody else reads it, it's like, wow, they really got it or they really understood it. You could tell by the way that they use their inflection or or read, right? That's kind of a powerful feeling. You know, what's cool is um, a lot of people in my life have read this book to date and I have gotten so many messages that say, I can hear you saying these things. You know, I, I, and, and I've had at least four people say, you're going to, you have to do an audiobook. And, and there are actually, uh, in chapter 17, I talk about leaving a legacy and there's several former student athletes that I've coached that give a little quote. And two of them put, started a group text message with me and said, and said, you're doing an audiobook and I'll read my part. And I was like, that's actually a really good idea and get all of the former student athletes to read their part. As if it's things to come. That's great. Um, Yeah, I I do think um, I think it's important that that the the author does read it when they do the audiobook because it is your voice, and it also emphasizes the point that that if they're hearing your voice before you even read it, (laughs) when they're just reading, hearing your voice from the words on the page, then it means you were authentic. Yeah, it means that you you didn't flower it or formalize it or something that wasn't you, you, you just put yourself on the page. And that's such It was was very vulnerable too. That was one thing about writing this book is it's not just like a life lessons book. Here's 18 things you should do. I really go on a deep dive on how I learned a lot of these lessons. I share some embarrassing things that now it's out there. I can't take it back. And I'm okay with that. Like I really thought about what I want my grandparents were still alive. Would I want them reading this book? Yeah, I would. If my my worst enemy, I don't know who that is, but whoever they are, would I want them reading this book? Yes, I would. And I'm okay with that. Not it's not going to be everyone's cup of tea, and I'm that's fine. I'm really proud of the book, and that's the most important piece. What do you see with the book going forward? Where what's your what's your next step with it? So um, we actually haven't talked about this, but behind every chapter, there are prompt questions. There's a journal page with prompt questions based in what that lesson is. And so right now we're working on creating a workbook out of it. 
And so that's, I want that to go along with the book so people can actually go through and, and think about each lesson and how it applies to them. So it's actually in the book, but I want a separate workbook that they can write in. So we're working on that. Um, and eventually I'm planning on doing some coaching programs through this. It's, it's all up here. It's still formulating, but I, I have this, I have this long-term dream of running women's seminars for women in male dominated fields, which is most fields at this point. Um, if you're listening to this from the future, let's hope it's not true. What I just said, <laughs> let's hope that's changed. And so what I want to do is, is, is help women better themselves in their career and their life. And so I imagine three day seminars where I do um, like life skills, professional, personal development, professional development in the morning. So the coaching piece, the life coaching piece in the morning, they learn how to play golf in the afternoon. And then we do some sort of etiquette dinner or wine taste, wine tasting pairing in the evening, little things to help women better themselves in their careers. Because men who are bad at golf will go play golf. They don't care. Women are like, I don't want to step in the wrong spot or I don't want to say the wrong thing. Or I'm like, they get really nervous about it. Right. I want to teach women that business is done on the golf course. And if you show up and you make a putt in front of everyone, people are going to remember that. And there's just like this insecurity. So that's like the long-term goal of this is I want this book to be a part of those programs. I want this book to be something that goes out to a lot of, um, not just student athletes, just students or young men and women, you know, 18 to 30, that this is, that's the, really the people I think it's benefits the most. So I, I have all these dreams about how to get it to those people. I'm just not there yet. It, it'll be there. It's on its way. I'm putting it all out in the universe. So I was just going to say, and now you've said it and it's been recorded. So therefore it's going to happen really fast now. <laughs> yes, it is. I'm excited about all of those things. So many, so many uh, people out there that can learn from you. And, and I think not just the lessons, cause those are important, but just your style and, and your sense of humor and your ability to just uh, be you is just Thank really you. refreshing. I think a lot of people will, will benefit from your, from being interacting with you and from being with you in your, in your programs. So although I could talk to you for a lot longer because there's layers and layers and layers of things um, that we could talk about, I really want to just encourage our listeners to go out and get the book. If they want to buy the book, where can they get it? Amazon.com. Just you look up your future self will thank you. And it pop, right now it pops up as the second book. It'll be first. Don't worry. We'll get there. <laughs> it will. It will. And how can they get in touch with you if they want to follow you or, or stay connected in some way to you? I think the best way is to go to my website. It's saradolecoaching.com. Sarah with no H-D-O-E-L-L coaching.com. All of my social media links are on there. My newsletter, my blog. If anyone wants to work with me as a coach, there's a way to have a first free call with me to see if it's a fit. So um, I think that's the easiest way other than just saying all the other links. Just go to saradolecoaching.com. Excellent. I'll make sure that's in the show notes as well. Sarah, before we finish up, one of the things that I like to ask all of our guests is about the, the phrase, it just takes one. I'm always fascinated by the answers because everybody perceives that differently and, and gets something different from it. So I'm just curious from you, what does it just takes one mean to you? Um, I knew you were going to ask me this. And, and the very first thing that came to mind is it just takes one step. And it's, there's so many things that people want to do in their life and fear stops them from moving forward. Take the first step, one step forward. And that's really what it, it just takes one means for me is wherever you want to go, just take the first step towards it. Nice. So true. You took the first step by putting it out there on that site. And, uh, and here we are six months later, getting a chance to celebrate yes. a great success. Congratulations. I'm holding it now. It's awesome. Thank you so much, by the way. And I just want to thank you for everything you've done to support me. 
there's just something about you that is like warm and inviting. And, and I joked with you every time we get on a zoom call, I'm like, you look so put together and polished and I look like a mess. I just came from the gym or, you know, I haven't even like looked in the mirror today. Um, but I just appreciate your support in this and, uh, and Greg, I mean, I just think it's been such a great process. And I, I know that I am a perfectionist that goes at 1 million miles an hour and you have helped rein it, rein me in a little and helped me like have my process. And I think that's really important is that's the cool thing about self-publishing and working with a group that can help you is you didn't try to change my voice. Yeah. You just let me be and you guided me. And, and so I just want to thank you. Well, you're welcome. It's obviously we love what we do. I mean, just amazing to be able to help people share their stories and, and, and all that goes with it. You know, some of what we talked about today, just the, the ability to help somebody share something that's significant so that somebody else out there can learn from that is like such a great gift. So it's my pleasure. It's been a great pleasure working with you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. For those of you listening, check out amazon.com. Your future self will thank you and watch out for the audiobook coming soon. <laughs> we'll talk soon, Sarah. Thank you. And there you have it, a great conversation with Sarah Dole. So many great takeaways from that interview. And I just wanted to come back and point out a couple of things, just points that I think are important for all of us to think about as we finish this episode. The first is her journey to authenticity and her belief that it is absolutely okay to be you. She does that in a humorous way in the book and just in describes that in a humorous way. But I think in the conversation that we just had, she did a really good job of explaining that being authentic isn't always easy, that vulnerability is difficult, but that the more you can be your authentic self, the easier life is. And I think that is a, a great takeaway for all of us to continue to work on being our best authentic self. The other part of the conversation that I thought was worth noting was when she said that you can only control your response. So you might not be able to control things like in her case, what was happening with her mom, but she had full control over her response to it. And that's true for all of us. If there is some challenge that you're currently facing, the one thing that you can control is how you're responding to it. Is there another perspective? Is there another way to view it? Is there something else you could do that allows you to handle it a little bit differently? I think it's worth thinking about and a great lesson shared today by Sarah. She shares so many other great lessons in her book. I hope you will go out and get it. It's available on Amazon and you can continue to follow Sarah at saradolecoaching.com. Thanks for joining us for this episode and stay tuned for more episodes coming soon.